Welcome to Coach's Corner with your host, Ryan Watson nope, and Jonathan Gordon. <laughs> I'm just letting you know I'm going to hate it. You're going to hate it? Yeah. All right, here we go now. Get behind that line. We're going to do it right. Do it right. Do it light. Let's go. Welcome to Coach's Corner with your host, Ryan Watson, on Twitter at Ryan on Broadway and Jonathan Bourne on Twitter at JB on Broad. You can only find us on Broadway Sports at broadwaysportsmedia.com, where for a limited time, you can get an all-access membership for $5 a month for life, which will end July 26th. So hurry up and grab that deal. And as part of the Broadway Sports Media family, you'll not only get our podcast, which you already love, but also other great podcasts like The Home Run Throwback, Football and Other F-Words, and The Flex for great fantasy content. We'll also have great film breakdowns, including film sessions with players and articles written by some of your favorites like John Glennon and Mike Herndon. So find out more at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Welcome to Coach's Corner. As we stated, I'm Ryan. With me is Jonathan. Hey, man, personal question for you real quick, if, if you don't mind. How's that vacation going for you? Let me tell you, so as you can tell by the sound quality here, I've made it about zero miles into my trip to Florida. Welcome to quarantine. I have watched, I think, about every episode of everything on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and Plex. So I think at this point, it's going great. Really managed to disconnect and dive into the worlds of all of the shows and movies that are out there. I would love to give you a breakdown of Artemis Fowl, which appears to be one of the greatest masterpieces of our time. I thought it was Fowl. That's probably much more accurate. So what you're saying, though, about your vacation is you had to change last minute because of everything going on. Now we're at homing, vacationing, and just living your best life within the confines of your own home. If I may, sir, if I may have a moment here. Just a moment, sure. this, This man has not had an actual vacation in probably 10 years. So I had one planned out. Everything was going well. Everything was set up perfectly to completely disconnect and get away, go to the beaches. And then a pandemic happened, which, to be fair, there are people much worse off than I am. However, in jest, I do mean that, yes, I am stuck at home. Yes, I have a three-year-old, which is very... um, I have heard the saying that is you rush to get your child to go to bed so you can look at pictures of your child while sitting in bed, so which true. is 100%, 100% true. 100% true. Or record a podcast. Absolutely. So I abandoned my child and wife, came over here, and have started to record. Yep. So sorry to hear about your change of plans there. But speaking of the coach's corner and what I want to get into, something that was not a big change was – the Titans' offensive coaching stands, staff, excuse me, staff. And basically, it's, it's always a good thing if you think. The last couple of years leading into this year, there was the whole, actually, more than just a couple of years, the consistency was not there from head coach, from offensive coordinator, from everything. It just seemed like we, they could not get a carryover from year to year. This year, as we stand right now, it does appear that we're going to have no major changes in the offensive staff. And I've got to think that's a good thing leading into the 2020 season. 
Yeah, it's funny. You had a little slip up there because you uh, started to say stance instead of offensive staff, and stance is probably the right word because I think they're going to be completely consistent on offense. And I I have some thoughts about whether or not that's going to be a good thing as far as how they approach an offense because some of the things that they approached with offensively is, you know, you had Marcus Mariota going then to Ryan Tannehill. So obviously you're prepared the entire offseason for a – for a Marcus Mariota-led offense, then things happen. You're six games in, and you're transitioning to Ryan Tannehill. You know as well as I do, when you're in the middle of a season, how are you actually going to really change your game plan? Because you really only have two and a half, maybe three days of practicing and game planning to put anything in. So it's not really going to change up a ton as far as offensive scheming goes, going into next year will be really interesting to see on how they pivot and how they change. Because we saw what happened in the playoffs. They rode Derrick Henry. It was not, it, you know, you had Brian Tannehill. He made some clutch plays here or there. They hit the Chiefs. When they hit the Chiefs, it was very much something that it kind of felt like they that, that flame kind of ran out. And that's not a knock on Derrick Henry. I think he ran well, but it was almost one of those things, you've heard me talk about it before, where they get into a scheme where it's been riding Derrick Henry the whole time. The passing game is very much a uh, just something that you get it by repetition. So when you have been running these low repetitions the past games, when you go into it, when you actually need it, have you been repping it enough to really get to really be effective in it? So what is that blend? Is it ride Derrick Henry another season, or is it then to transition more towards that blended attack going into with Ryan Tannehill in that passing game? That's what I look for in year two under Art, Art Smith because I think before the, the postseason happened, he had really started to hit his stride as far as what I would – call his comfortable limits in this offense and what he knew to call. And he had some brilliant and, – and the pass game was not as effective in the playoffs because of the philosophy they were going up against some high-powered offensive teams, want to keep them on the field. So I don't 100% disagree with the angle that they were trying to take there. But he definitely got out of cadence for what he had been doing. Now, he still had some gems going on for the the, the, the Khalif Raymond against Baltimore play comes to mind. Just perfect time after a turnover, go for the throat. I love that as my coaching philosophy. When I coached, I love to say, and I learned this early on, get a turnover, go for the throat. Let's throw the deep ball, see if we can really crush them because they're already down about the turnover. Let's go ahead and get a quick score, make that offense get back out there while they're still doubting themselves. And it really worked out for the Titans in that play. And I love seeing that. So, it's kind of going to be interesting because there's a lot of philosophical discussions we're going to have in, in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about kind of that defensive philosophy and how you build a team and how you attack some of those strong contenders, not only in your division, but in your conference. The Titans made that AFC championship game. So they're, they're not just competing to get to the playoffs. It's really to take that next step, get to the Super Bowl and win it. So whenever you look at how you are going to attack – you look at who are the best teams in your conference, and you look at the Chiefs. They are completely a passing team. Even their run game is completely complementary in how they attack those defenses. When you attack and when you think defensively of how you're going to play against the Chiefs, you're going to get those speedy corners, which you saw somewhat in how the Titans drafted and approach free agency. It's to stop the passing game. So you kind of want to sometimes, you look at those navies, those, uh, when you look at college football, those uh, service schools, they're always a pain to play. And it's not because they have great players, it's because they do something different. Mm -hmm. 
All this to say, whenever the Titans go out there and take the field on offense, they do something a little bit different. The Ravens do it as well, which is another thing whenever you approach it, which I think could be a kind of a contingency. You're not the only team doing this. But the Titans and the way they approach is different than how a lot of teams are approaching offense. So you have teams generally getting smaller on defense to combat the speed of the NFL. And it's not just the Chiefs. The Chiefs just do it better than anybody mm-hmm. else right Titans now. Titans can be a real problem for those teams. Absolutely. So you're going to pound that rock. You have Derrick Henry, who is a unique running back compared to a lot of those running backs that are out there right now. Most of those, you're looking at a, uh, a speedy guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, which we'll get to that in a second about how the Titans had at least one major addition to the offense in Darrington Evans. But you talk about Derrick Henry, that's still going to be the bread and butter. The question becomes, is it going to be enough to ride Derrick Henry the same way they did last year? But I think the Titans are approaching it from an aspect of they do want to do things differently than others. And knowing that you only have two and a half, three days to really prepare week to week, they almost have that element of surprise every time they take sure. the field. So just to touch on something you said about the, the service uh, schools, whether the, the Air Force, the the Navy, just they, they don't do something you see every day. So it's kind of tough to, to uh, prepare for. I, just on a personal note, I was in an Alabama game. The only Alabama game I've seen uh, in person took the girls to for the first game. And uh, this, the, the team is escaping me, but it was an option team. And Bama struggled on defense. And they – they were getting run on a little bit in the first half, and I think that it was national headlines at halftime because Bama was losing to this FCS school. Or not losing, sorry. It was like 10-3 to 3 or something. Like, what's going on with number one Alabama with Tua Tungvaloa and all this? And I just remember thinking, and the people around me in the stands were just like killing, like fire saving. I heard that, and I'm like, that, that always baffles me. Well, that's a story for another time. But I remember thinking, well, this isn't like they see this offense every day. They don't have to prepare for this. Now they're in the, the depths of a triple offense. Forgive me if, the, if these 18 to 23-year-old kids aren't quite grasping it. Of course, Alabama, the 20, there's no 23-year-olds because they've all gone to the NFL by that point in time, but still my point stands. To your point, they don't see that every day. Now back to the Titans. Uh, I do agree that it's going to be interesting to see what they do as far as if they keep pounding. If I've got to think, though, with Tannehill – coming back in second season, and there's consistency. It's, it's the big theme for this offense this year is the consistency. Is you And you touched on it. You don't have that. Is Mariota going to be the guy finally? I think it is. It, not I think. I know it's Tannehill going into the season, barring anything else. And are they going to continue that development? And Art Smith, Tannehill, he's really developing. And, and as we stated on our, on our fantasy pod the other night, Tannehill's been throwing two, three days a week with John U. Smith. Titan is a quarterback's best friend at times. I say it's young guys, but it really is a quarterback's good friend. They continue to develop that. He can develop, continue what he did with A.J. Brown. Maybe sprinkle in some Corey Davis and, and, and Adam Humphreys in that. And I think that this offense can really continue to add the passing attack along with that successful running attack, which is only going to become more successful the better the passing is because Derrick Henry, not if you didn't know this, saw the most eight-man fronts of any other running back in the National Football League last year. I've got to think that that's going to ease up. So everyone keeps saying, like from the experts, saying that well the Titans didn't add much. They didn't add. I was like, well, I know they didn't add much, but what they did keep was the good parts, and they're going to get a full season out of those. And I think that you're going to see some different tendencies from them that are going to work in their advantage. Yeah, I think whenever you look at the Titans, it all comes down to you know how do you view the Titans in the season as a whole versus what they did after the two and four start. So I think from a coaching standpoint, you don't, like I talked about, you don't have a ton of opportunity to change mid-season. So right. you, it's that balance, and it's kind of an unknown 
for, I mean, you look at it schematically, I think they were running a lot of the same stuff. They get a little more aggressive as far as how they were attacking downfield once Tannehill came in. But whenever you look at they're going to be a play-action team. They're going to be a play-action, motion, and run-based offense to really attack those defenses. Now, them adding Darrington Evans tells me that they see that there is an opportunity to spell Derrick Henry. And that's a little promising for me because my biggest concern is that you look at Derrick Henry and all the damage he did in the playoffs throughout the season, and he has absolutely a weapon. However, historically speaking, especially in the last 10 years, riding a running back who is coming off a big season is not something that generally pays off. It's not how you actually win Super Bowls. I think if you ride Derrick Henry, I think you risk... Being it, maybe maybe Derrick Henry is that dude who is just the complete outlier. You look at the dude, somebody his size being able to run in a straight line as fast as he does. That is that is an outlier. But historically speaking, looking at paying a running back and then coming in and riding a running back, it is just something that doesn't generally pay off for the team. And so that's probably my biggest concern in how you actually approach from a Titans offensive perspective. I do think they are still going to be a run based offense but they need to be able to balance that with a strong passing attack. Let me ask you this because you brought up Darren Evans there. Um, we touched on this on the Flex, our fantasy podcast on Broadway Sports, uh, about the fact that you could at certain times see both Derrick Henry and Darrington Evans on the field at the same time if he develops into what you could see in the slot. Do you see a lot of that happening, especially if you don't get better results than what you've seen out of Adam, Adam Humphrey so far? Would you go to a coaching perspective where you could get your top two running backs on the field to try to – maximize your attacking ability. So I think from a Madden perspective, yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. Can, <laughs> can you get that that double wing? Trust me, we've played a, a couple sure, of Madden games sure, where yeah. it lasts about uh, 30 seconds longer than the actual game time itself sure. because uh, we're pretty much <laughs> running the out. ball, run the yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think from an actual perspective, putting those two on the field, because Derrick Henry, he's he is an explosive back in a in a power bruising back's body. And so he's not a guy that you can have interchangeably. I don't think you're going to put him in a fullback position. You may get him in a split back position where you can have, you know, Tannehill in a shotgun formation, split them out and do some things there. But the problem is, is that Derrick Henry, I know this is kind of a trigger thing for uh, Titans Twitter to talk about whether or not Derrick Henry can actually catch the ball. And yeah, I think he had five explosive plays of 25 yards or more last year. But trust me, when I say this, they were designed plays. Mm -hmm. Great receiving running backs doesn't have to be designed plays. They can make things that are check down plays into big plays. Derrick Henry is not a receiving back. Christian McCaffrey, he's not. Absolutely. So, but that's not a bad thing because it's just not, and that's, I think that's what we have to get out of our mind. This whole, when you're comparing top running backs, I hate when they do that because they compare these guys that are not similar in how they play. And, and we've said it, I'm, I'm going to beat this until it's dead is that Derrick Henry locked up and found himself one of the few teams in the NFL that he would find maximize his potential and maximize his success. So, to your point, he doesn't necessarily have to be that pass catching back, so Darrington Evans can fill that role. So maybe you don't want to, but I can see some wrinkles there. Speaking of wrinkles, one other thing too is that I found very interesting from their draft is the fact that they drafted a very mobile, athletic quarterback in Cole McDonald. Now, I think for me that I want consistency backup Woodside makes sense there because he's been in the offense for a year. But I really got to say that 
there's a there is a big difference between the two players and from a coaching perspective this is the coach's corner does any thought go into the fact that you've got an athletic guy similar to what Mariota was pre-injury coming out of college I hate to make those I mean Hawaii Hawaiian I don't want to make those parallels but he does have an athletic frame he does have some athletic explosive plays in him does any of that play into who your backup's going to be? Is he more of a wrinkle guy? What are you looking for there from that spot? Yeah, and so I think whenever you look at a Mariota versus a Cole McDonald, they have very similar athletic profiles. And so I think whenever you go into a game, I think this is a very similar uh, season to when you could possibly actually see somebody carry three quarterbacks. So... Normally, we see people carrying two quarterbacks, but I think what it could end up playing out is while you have three quarterbacks on the roster, you could see somebody like a Logan Woodside be your number three emergency quarterback. And then how you use that is you go into a game where you can have those gadget plays with a Cole McDonald who comes in and runs those gadget plays. Sure. And in an injury situation... You bring in Logan Woodside, which would then rule out any of those kind of emergency situations that Logan Woodside would come in and play any of those gadget plays. But how you do that, that's some roster management stuff. Yeah, it's 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 always going to be hindsight 2020 because I guarantee you're going to catch yourself in a situation where you're like, ah, I should have had the other guy on the roster for this game. But you can't – I don't think you can make those decisions. Like you stated before, and I believe this, you have to make good decisions when they're good decisions and then live with the results. A good decision is a good decision regardless of the result. A bad decision is a bad decision. And that's a – I'm going to steal that 100 times from you because I think it's fantastic what you said in our last pod. And I just think that it's going to be a per-week basis, see what's going on. And, and this all goes out the window because if Cole McDonald, for whatever reason, comes into camp and can't pick up a single play – because of his ability to run the ball and and be able to make those play action passes, the pressure is not on him to be the guy. Right. I apologize for the notification there. Sorry. Uh, and I understand that, and I do agree. Before we move on to anything else, just to say I am excited to see another year out of Keith Carter, the offensive line coach. He's only having to replace one position there. So I'm really looking forward to that as far as just rounding out this this coaching consistency. And the theme of this is just carrying over. So I, I do agree on everything you said there. But moving on, I think that other things that Mike Vrabel, we've stated our opinions on him in the last podcast, where we think he is, just off the top of your head, just throw it to you real quick. Give me just a number. Where would you rate him in rankings? And you can give a range to and, uh, and the NFL head coaches so far in his career. Oh, man, putting me on the spot here. So you're asking not necessarily who my top coaches are, but where no, we'll I would put Vrabel. Yeah, where are you with Vrabel? Where would you rank him in the NFL right now? So Vrabel, when you when you look at Vrabel, you're looking at a couple things. So the guy has not had a losing season since he came to be a head coach. Sure. He's lived a bit, little bit of a benefited life because he goes to a talented Texas Texans defense to be a defensive coordinator, and then comes to the Titans, which is coming off a nine-win season and a loss in the AFC divisional round. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, it, it's one of those. There are some unknowns with him. I 
still think, though, I would take Vrabel. He's that borderline top 10. And I think you and I have talked a couple times. I mean, I think you have a top four coaches in the NFL. Sure. And maybe, do you want to, who are our top four coaches? So, yeah, and and that was my next topic because I've got another interesting thing I kind of angle and want to spin here. I just wanted to see, kind of get out, transition from the Titans. I'm not putting a number on it. Yeah, you know, you're not really to put a number on it. I'm not Let's putting a this. number on Are it. Are you comfortable Rabel. saying that he could possibly top 15 right now? Oh, NFL? top 15 for okay. sure. And that's what I meant. You could be 100 Don't have to be specific. 15. Yeah, and I'm happy with where he is, and I think that he's. I would. You put it best. Fringe top 10. So let me say this: If you were starting an NFL team with what out, what's out there right now, there's a coach you have to pick, and I'm going to go ahead and and, and disqualify four guys. So I think that. Basically, we agree on who these four guys are. Number one with the bullets, Bill Belichick. And I don't want to hear any bull crap from anyone else about anything else. That's that is the number one dude in the NFL. Let me let me just say if you have an issue with Bill Belichick being ranked as the number one coach, not just right now, but of all time, feel free to find me at JB on Broad. That's my Twitter handle. I, I will have a very intelligent conversation with you and talk to you about why that makes absolutely no sense. In an age developed specifically to not be able to have actual dynasties this man Mm -hmm. has actually been able to develop a dynasty it makes no sense at all that he has this success and you can say tom brady trust me i will come back with you and say that that does not justify the success that this man has had so bill belichick is number one i just had had to step on my soapbox here so you have fun with it from here i just needed to defend my man and i will hear out the whole he said tom brady blah 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 this is going to be a great test this year to see because with the Patriots just signing Cam Newton, he's got another guy that he can roll with. I'm, in my opinion, so this is another, this is another time <laughs> where we can we can have an entire another pod. The fact that they are going to have Jared Stidham and then Cam Newton obviously means Bill Belichick is a huge Auburn fan. I I digress. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I honestly mean is that you have Tom Brady and what he's done with those quick reads and going to his, the receivers that they have had with success. But then you're going to add the mobility element that they have not had with Tom Brady. I honestly believe that McDaniels and Belichick realize that today's NFL caters to some mobility at the quarterback position. That's another time. I just need to get that in there. Carry on. Let's go back to if you're starting a franchise, who's it going to be? Sure. So that's our number one with a bullet. The other three that I'm going to disqualify are Andy, in no particular order, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, and John Harbaugh. I think that those are our top four NFL coaches. We've talked about this beforehand. You're nodding in approval now. Those are the four. You can't have those. So let me ask you this. Of the rest of the coaches in the NFL, and you're starting a team today, who are you picking and a brief why. Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot first? Yeah. It's my show. It's our show. I'm leading this conversation. It's your show. It's your show. It's my moment to lead this show. I'm picking you to start. Let me put it this way. Uh, he is wearing a <laughs> Cubs shirt while saying this, so he's going to put me on the spot because he knows he's going to choke when it comes down In to it. And my pretty Pelicans hat. Oh, this man is the pinnacle of minor league baseball. Hey, no, I love the minor league baseball hats and what they have out there. I only have four of them, but they're spectacular hats. Anyways, moving on. So when you look at who you're going to take, you got to start a franchise. Yes. So I got... I think you can go a couple of different ways. And I think there's a large contingent of coaches with Doug Peterson, Mike Tomlin, Mike Zimmer, Pete Carroll, 
of guys that have had success. My issue is with those guys, and part of this is recognizing that they have been around long enough that it's almost like they've been there to actually be exposed. And that's not necessarily a knock on them. They're good enough to stick around, but it's been enough longevity that some flaws have been exposed. So then you look at the guys that have had some success but are a little bit younger because everybody's striving for that next Belichick, right? Everybody's striving because you look at even the top four guys you did. Belichick is the only one that I don't think has any realistic flaws. Your biggest flaw is that he had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Praise. Just praise my team. Please, please give my team the opportunity to have a Hall of Fame quarterback and that be the biggest flaw on my on my head coach. With the other guys, you can say, you know, the, the John Harbaugh, he was literally two years ago so close to being fired. There's a reason they were in position to go get a Lamar Jackson. When you have somebody like a um, an Andy Reid, until he won the Super Bowl, there were questions, can he win the big game? Sean Payton chokes in in crunch time. I still don't have any questions about them being the top four head coaches. However, there are questions with them. So you look at these big guys. One of them, in my opinion, of the young guys that don't have a ton of ton of you know background, you look at a Kyle Shanahan. This is the first one I went to. You talk about a guy that just took a team to the Super Bowl. I love what Kyle Shanahan has done. Just very, very in, inventive plays on offense, the way he attacks the defense with running plays, which is very unique in today's NFL. You have Sean McVay that comes out here and attacks it through the passing game. He is very much a running head coach. You've seen it through multiple teams as an offensive coordinator, then going to the 49ers. With him, though, you look at back, and he's 23 and 25. So I do love the things that he's done, but 23 and 25 as a head coach, he did inherit a team that was not good not good is not good is probably an understatement for how bad that team was and got him to the super bowl so then you, you kind of play that out it's Kyle Shanahan is very much in that that state where you can say is it a one trick pony kind of thing did he catch lightning in the bottle and it's possible I has I, I kind of trend towards that side that no, I think he will be good. But then I kind of look at there's still too much risk there. So if I'm starting a team, I look at a Frank Reich or a Mike Vrabel. I think both of them, both of them show a ton of potential. And here's the thing: you look at their overall records. You have Frank Reich at seven, 17 and fifteen. You have Mike Vrabel at eighteen and fourteen. Both of them have quarterback issues and how they kind of move forward. You did have Andrew Luck and how that was handled. You had Marcus Mariota. Both of them had kind of those those top end quarterbacks that flamed out for different reasons. I'm not going to get into you know which one's better, or which one's the bigger loss, whatever. You take a top end quarterback and they flame out for whatever reason. It's a big loss just in how it how it plays out in the uh, salary cap and how sure. you draft. Yep. I, I can't say I disagree with that because when we were talking about this beforehand and you said Mike Vrabel there, and I was tempted. Like I think of the three names I was thinking because I really like what he's doing. I don't, I don't know if it's homerism or what's going on, but I really like what Mike Vrabel's doing for the Titans, what he can be, but mostly because I see how that locker room reacts to him. I love the aggressiveness. We've covered that before. 
But again, you stated earlier there were some guys that have done it, have been there. You know the flaws, though. But that's that's kind of where I am. I think that I skew towards let me make my picks on the high ceilings because at that point I, I'm kind of picking. I guess I'm more in the short term. Let me win now, or let me let me go with a guy who's proven. I guess, and that's why I think that after a long thought on this, I'd have to go with Mike Tomlin, even though I know what you talked about and you said about those proven coaches. But I've got to think that I see how he's handled that locker room. And he's been, he's, I don't have it in front of me, but I, he's one of the longest tenured head coaches in the NFL outside of Bill Belichick. I mean, he's been with the Steelers forever. He's got to be doing something right, is your first thought there. But if you dive in deeper with look at the personality, especially what's come out from that locker room since last offseason and what he had to put up with, with Antonio Brown, what he's had to put up with in Roethlisberger, and then the conflicts within the team, he's handled it very well. He continues to have levels of success. And let's not pretend like he hasn't had to deal with struggles from the starting quarterback position throughout the years as far as injuries concerned. Because Roethlisberger, as tough as he's been, as big as he is, stands in that pocket strong, he does take some hits. So Tomlin's had to deal with some adversity there with some back quarterbacks and some big game situations. It always seems to find like seem like his team finds a way to win. And I got to think his leadership has a lot to do with that. He speaks to his team. He's still a fairly young coach when it all things considered got a lot of years in front of him as far as I'm concerned I really think that he'd be a guy that could take a, a team from scratch implement his way his thought process his leadership and that team could find success he just has to find his guys at that point in time and and I think he knows how it works he's he's fin- he's he doesn't have a single season where he's finished below 500 and that includes a 2019 season where Mason Rudolph and Delvin Hodges were the starting quarterbacks. So I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. If you're looking for a guy who is going to get you a winning season or be all right, and I think this comes back to the business of it. Are you looking to sell tickets or are you looking to win Super Bowls? Sure. So, so Tomlin, I would argue that if you dive into it, a lot of that stuff, and you can talk from a coaching perspective that you want to really kind of uh, level set with your players. You want to be able to be that guy who is, and I, Tomlin kind of epitomizes this as being that player's coach of you want to be that guy who can have those normal conversations. I'm pretty much a player still. I just happen to be in this position. So with Tomlin, I think a lot of the things that he runs into is because he's been that kind of level-setted, I am right here with you guys, I'm just one of you, and so I, I'm not sure how he rises above that. So some players, including an Antonio Brown, have gotten away with a ton of stuff there. So you look at a, at, at a Reich or a Vrabel then, and Vrabel is, a, is, is also one of those younger guys. Now, that's the thing people forget about Tomlin. Tomlin was a super young dude and still is a relatively young guy to keep Even after going. after 13 years. That, that's my thing is with Tomlin, we we have still possibly just saw the beginning for what his coaching career could be. I guess that's what I'm banking on. For sure. So I don't think that's a bad choice at all. I think Tomlin kind of, as I said in the beginning, is one of those dudes that kind of qualifies. He's been around so long that flaws are going to expose. Vrabel is one of those guys that uh, also has, he, he hasn't been around as long, but some of his flaws is he's one of those aggressive dudes that's going to go out there, but he may not always make the right decision, but he is the same sort of coach as far as going to get that backing of his players because he's an aggressive guy, going to believe in his guys to go out there and do that and execute. 
Frank Reich is one of those guys that is going to be that same mentality, has played the game at a pretty high level, also going to make those aggressive decisions similar to a Doug Peterson, who also hasn't had a great, you know, personnel decisions all around. He's had to deal with some stuff there, but seems to understand and have a good balance. And maybe it's because he's been around long enough, a good balance of when is aggressive and when is smart. And some that that is a very different balance as somebody who is very much an aggressive guy who always wants to go. We talked about it last week. I'm all aboard pretty much going at all times. If you can back it up, there's that gray area. And I think for me, that gray area is super big as long as you're listening on or kind of leaning, sorry, leaning towards the aggressive style. Frank Reich seems to have a good balance of that. I think Vrabel can get there. But you look at the age difference between a Reich and a Vrabel and even a Tomlin still, and I think Reich has that sort of experience on it. So my big knock about you and Reich is we'll F the Colts. The Colts so, yeah, just put that out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, I'm going to get dragged. Absolutely dragged. <laughs> I'm just saying, and I think both Tomlin and Vrabel can absolutely get there, and I am acknowledging that for a Tomlin, he is the he is the. De- you, the biggest negative for him is because he's been around for so long. Mm-hmm. Even when even when he was just a DB's guy. Maybe he's setting his ways kind of a thing. Maybe this is the best. But at the same time, he is so young, he gets into a new situation, much like Andy Reid, a la from Philadelphia to Kansas City. Who knows if you can find lightning in a bottle with an established coach yeah. and just get him some new pieces. Even when he, you, you learn from a Roethlisberger, you learn from an AB kind of situation – it's hard to just make those changes when you're still in the same locker room because you're going to have those guys that have been stuck around from the beginning. You may learn those lessons, but actually transitioning to an completely different locker room and making that complete change, because Lord knows when I started coaching, if I had all the lessons I do right now, I could not impact those with the same sort of effectiveness if I was in the same locker room, then when I go to a different locker room that doesn't have the history where I can start off from day one with the lessons I learned. Mm -hmm. And so you look at a Tomlin, I almost feel like if he went somewhere else, he'd be spectacular, which may be making your case right here. I think you're winning this argument for me. I'm just going to, the defense rests, uh, prosecutor Boring, go ahead. So yeah, I think we're on the right, uh, on the same right page the same page as far as we've mentioned we both mentioned Vrabel I think you can definitely qualify him as an up and comer at the very least and I don't think that's Homer's I'm talking because look what he's done look what he they he's had to deal with a little bit and the fact that he isn't your typical excuse me the Titans aren't your typical NFL team these days and they're still finding levels of success oh let me be clear Vrabel especially if you go even into it to the level of what his house looked like in the middle of the oh, NFL draft. Yeah. He's just a different dude, man. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think anytime somebody gets so comfortable, there's a saying in coaching, either you're getting better or others or are you're passing you by. <laughs> or you're, <or> you're Bill <laughs> O'Brien. For the Titans, you're hoping Vrabel's that dude that comes in and shakes things up. Not everybody has to be that just kind of middle of the road, never too high, never too low. You can be that little bit of an outlier. And so Vrabel kind of has that attitude as kind of a young coach who has been through things. And so I don't feel like it's homerism. 
I feel I talked about last week. There are some issues in some of the decisions that Vrabel has made, but they do completely resonate with somebody who's a young coach. And so those are things you can kind of learn from. Now, if there were things that a 70-year-old coach or 60-year-old coach was making, those are red flags. And if he continues to make them, they continue to be red flags. But I think that from a from a just growing perspective, if I was taking somebody and I had to make a decision, Frank Reich is right up there. Vrabel's not far behind him, sure. and that's the reason I'm intrigued by the AFC South moving forward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and especially in the short term with the fact that well, they're going to have to make another quarterback decision in a couple of years because Rivers, I don't know what he's going to look like in that offense yet, but they're going to, they have another decision coming just because Father Time is undefeated. So Apparently, Father Rivers is undefeated. <laughs> what is it, uh, 16 kids now, 15 kids? I'm going to get it wrong, but if he's eligible for that stimulus package, man, he, he, he loaded up. So and a couple other coaches that we did not mention that I've got my eye on, Cliff Kingsbury from Arizona. I, I think that he is a Good, possibly could be top offensive-minded coach in the NFL, especially with what he's got going on there. I don't like the Bills as far as some of the the decisions they make, but I really got to say Sean McDermott has done a good job there. All things considered, what he's to deal with. So there's just a couple younger coaches that are still starting out and and looking to to improve. Like guys that are falling off. Matt Nagy, you know, had a great 2018. 2019 brings it all. Kind of what are you doing? What's what's the consideration? Bill O'Brien, as we mentioned, um, Kevin Stefanski is interesting, but I think that, well, it's the Browns. Uh, but Zach Taylor's got a chance with the Bengals to really make some waves, especially with he's got what could be a young quarterback in that franchise for real. So, I mean, there's there's other coaches out there that you could pick, but but I think we've covered who we would pick. I think we've got some good things to talk about there. Putting the coach's spin on it as we are going to try to do throughout the season – some good content there. I don't really have anything else for this episode. We can talk about building positions and players later on, but you got to start with that head coach and figure out where you're going to go. And I think we've given some people some stuff to think about there. Yeah, moving into the season, I have some thoughts. I, I almost went on another uh, preaching session there with Zach Taylor mentioned there and how that team's <laughs> being built with Joe Burrow coming in as a quarterback and how they're building just their entire roster. But yep. that's a that's – more for another episode. There's our tease. There's our tease right there. So, in closing, this has been the Coach's Corner, part of the Broadway Sports Network. Remember to be sure to check out all the other podcasts, articles, and video breakdowns that Broadway Sports has to offer at broadwaysportsmedia.com and on Twitter at BroadwayTN. Make sure you're also following your host as well, at JB on Broad for Jonathan and Ryan on Broadway for, well, me and the show at Coaches on Broad. Make sure you hit that subscribe button before you close out the app and be sure to hit us up with a five-star review. That's it for now. Until next time, we out. See you.